Tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap, a mad dog's promenade, cleats on boots, pimps swinging axes, and silly New York virgins. Spread out now, Rosie, Dr. Come cut loose her mama's reign. You know, playing blind man's love is a little baby's game. You pick up a little In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. We've got a big one tonight, ladies and gentlemen. This is going to be very unusual because this is on my list of top two albums of all time, but I didn't pick it. Our humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe, picked this one. I want to also mention that we are joined tonight by Tony. And uh, something extraordinary has happened. Tony is not in the closet tonight. So we're excited (laughs) to see uh, Tony out in a whole uh, room. Yeah. Without any clothing around him. (laughs) The album tonight, ladies and gentlemen, is The Great Wild, The Innocent, and the East Street Shuffle. That's the 1973 Columbia release by the one and only Bruce Springsteen, the boss. Jonathan J.M. Rowe, humble producer, with much to be humble about. Why did you pick this album? It's just different. It's different than anything that Springsteen had done before, Anything, and he hasn't done anything like it since. Um, and I also just find this probably his best songwriting ever and his best uh, best performance by a band on any Springsteen album ever. So I'm really impressed with the musicianship. I'm very impressed with Springsteen's actual songwriting and lyrics and just the overall execution of songs on this album, I think are very uh, something that more and more people should be uh, exposed to. Well, one of the things that makes this uh, the number one podcast on albums in about 17 countries is the fact that we all come to this uh, music from different directions. Tony, you're yes. sort of a newcomer to this album. And uh, yeah, uh, we're, we're happy to have that because you can give us a perspective of a guy who is just now uh, giving this album serious listen. Can you, can you tell us a little bit? Yeah, well, I, I think JM hit the nail on the head uh, in the sense that um, this, in listening to it, coming from somebody like me who's familiar enough with Springsteen and with kind of the big the big albums, you know, um, Born to Run, 
the the river, uh, you know, born in the USA, things things of that nature. That this this album blew me away in how eclectic it is and how odd. The, and I don't mean odd and the songs aren't odd, but just how especially that first side, how all over the place it is. But in a really mm-hmm. kind of great way <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and how how incredible his band sounds on this album. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. a lot of that has to do, you know, I, I was again uh, not aware that when he signed with columbia that they were touting him as the next dylan and that's the Mm -hmm. whole reason his first album is really essentially an acoustic album with a band kind of backing him well i stood stone like at midnight suspended in my masquerade and i combed my hair that was just right and command of the night brigade I was open the pain and crossed by the rain And I walked on a crooked crutch I strolled all along to a fall out zone Came out with my soul untouched and, and to get away from that, he's like, forget this And, and that band comes out swinging um, And it it, it's impressive. <laughs> it's really impressive, and uh, and blew me away in a way I was not expecting. Um, I I really 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 have enjoyed this week a lot, um, and I've actually shared some of this with my kids because I've been listening a lot and kind of telling them about them and getting them because they know Springsteen, you know, the way any any thirteen or seventeen year old today would, and they were it was like they were discovering this with me. I can't say that they felt the same way that they were was blown away about it as I was or by it as I was. But um, yeah, I was not, this was an unusual experience. I was not expecting this album to knock my socks off the way it did. Well, that's interesting. I'm glad you had that experience. Now I want to turn to Doug and ask Doug a few questions. (laughs) Doug, you didn't pick this album. yet. You say it is in your top two. Well, I was very excited when JM picked this album because it's in my top two. Also, I was excited because I wouldn't have to use up one of my picks to do this album that I was going to pick anyway. Uh, Recently, I've been reading a book called Nightwing. It's a science fiction book, and these people go to an oracle or a machine of some kind, and it asks them a question, or they're asked a question by their comrades, and if they lie, they'll be killed right away. And I thought about that, and I thought if I went to that machine and it asked me, is this your favorite album, I would not be able to answer because it may be or it may not be, but it's right on the line. I absolutely love this album. Why do you love this album so much? Well, it's the same reason I love almost every album we talk about that I that I am completely crazy for. I have no idea where this came from. This is, again, one of those things that just blooms out in the middle of nowhere. There's no antecedent for it. There's no explanation for where this uh, popped out. 
And I know there is actually an explanation, but it is so fresh, so original. The other thing I like about this, it is the thing that this is one of the first Springsteen albums. My, my first contact with Springsteen came from digging around in my buddy's dad's records and finding Blinded by the Light on one of his records. And I wanted to hear it. And I was incredibly disappointed to find <laughs> out it wasn't Manfred Mann's version. Uh, that, by the way, is Springsteen's only number one hit ever, and it was a hit when someone else sang it. But <laughs> I kept listening, and I end up falling in love with the first two albums, uh, Greetings from Asbury Park and uh, Wild Innocent and the East Street Shuffle. I'm completely in love with this record. One other thing I have to say, and I can get some amens from J.M. on this, there was a point when J.M. and I were both uh, at a... Uh, summer camp and i had a position that allowed me to control the music that was played at that summer camp and i forced everyone to listen to springsteen summer after summer and this was before he was well known in texas uh, yeah uh, he was well known up in the northeast but he wasn't uh, well known here so i'm going to be talking about someone tonight that i am uh I was smitten with at a very young age. Um, and I have uh, had to divide them up into different people so that I can still enjoy it. I'm less impressed <laughs> with the uh, political philosopher uh, that that has come out in later years. Jam, we're going to talk over and over again about this band. This is a very a substantially different band than the one that played mm -hmm. on Born to Run and eventually became what everybody thinks of as the E Street Band. Although mm -hmm. the only guy in the whole band to ever live in, on E Street uh, will leave after this uh, <laughs> album. Right. Tell us about the personnel, Jam. So to answer your question, Doug, this is an early incarnation of the E Street Band. It's the first incarnation of it. And uh, the, there are members that, of the E Street Band that stayed with Springsteen, uh, among them Gary Talent, the bass player, uh, veteran Dan Vetterisi, who played the organ and the uh, accordion. And then you have, of course, the great... Uh, probably his most famous foil or the most famous E Street band member outside of uh, Springsteen himself. The big man. The big man, Clarence uh, Clemens. Who, well, you know, uh, the change was made up town and the big man joined the band. That's right. <laughs> uh, and then probably the most uh, schooled or 
best music uh, best musician of the whole bunch, hands down, is a guy by the name of uh, David Sanctius. And he uh, was the keyboard player. He also uh, played some of the horn parts, the soprano saxophone uh, on some of the early recordings. And he went on um, after this, uh, after this album, uh, to go on to play with some other uh, rock impresarios, among them um, Jack Bruce, he played with Santana, uh, he played with the great bass player uh, Stanley Clark, and he was actually also a member of Sting's touring band, where he not only played uh, keyboard, he also was a second lead guitar player. So he's also a really good guitar player. And in fact, um, sometimes he's when he's played with um, bands like Jack Bruce or Santana, he'll he won't even touch the keyboards. He'll actually be the guitarist. I think he's even just limp on one Stanley Clark album. He just plays keyboard or guitar the whole time. Yeah, so he's gone on. He still works with Springsteen every now and then. When Springsteen uh, doesn't work with the E Street Band, a lot of times uh, Sanctus will be the, the guy that will be the keyboard player. You know what's amazing about him on this album, though? And this is what I found out today. You guys probably know this already, but I didn't know this. Um, he uh, he was not he came in late. The only song he plays actually plays with the band on is the E Street Shuffle. Everything else was after the the basic tracks had been laid down, and he came in afterward and added his parts after the ba- rest of the band had already done what they were going to do. That's really? amazing. To, that's amazing to me. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, we're we're kind of focused on this because there is a piece of an, there's a part of each one of us that's really sad that this relationship ended when it did. Yeah. Because. Yeah. Um, there's there's two guys on this record that distract me uh, completely. One is the keyboardist and the other is the drummer. And we lose both of them after this. Yeah. Uh, and they're replaced by fantastic ma- ma- magician, uh, magicians, musicians. Um, and, and that brings me to what I'm going to say next to, to clarify some things. I'm going to go ahead and say that Born to Run is Bruce Springsteen's finest album. It is his uh, masterpiece, and the E Street Band on that album is remarkable. Having said that, this is my favorite album. But I uh, I love Born to Run, but I love this. I more love this one. Born yeah. to Run, Born to Run's obviously more cohesive. It's more of a kind of a. I mean, it is it, it, in a way. It is really what we always kind of stress on the podcast in terms of having this complete album that from beginning to end. But yeah. it is, and and I agree with you. It's a masterpiece. But I'm going to say something. It it's nowhere as near as interesting as this album is. Yeah, we're on the same yeah. page, Tony. The, the something in the uh, internet world is going to explode because you and I are agreeing <laughs> so much on this. Well, you know the band, the band and the album, everything coalesced, and it makes sense. I mean, 
heck, uh, it shows that album was a monster born to run and it gave yeah. Springsteen the, the, the cred and the, the dues that he deserved. Yeah. Um, cause the record company didn't know what the hell to do with this thing. They didn't. In fact, yeah. I, you guys probably saw this. They would, uh, the record com I've never heard of this before. The record company execs would go to radio stations and tell them not to play this album to play other Columbia artists. They did not want to support this album. They thought it was a mess. They thought they didn't, that there was no way that this was ever going to, that they essentially were done with Springsteen. And it makes me very happy that he didn't give up and he knocked one out of the park on his third album because boy, yeah. it's like giving a yeah. middle finger to him because they deserved it after, after saying that about <laughs> this album. Cause this album and is let's, let's yeah. talk about yeah. what yeah. Springsteen did when, when Springsteen was about, Six years old, uh, this is from his uh, autobiography, uh, he would get up and start dancing in front of people. He was a showman from the very beginning, and mm -hmm. he his shows became more famous than this album, and he was able to use his showmanship and brute force to get this album out there. And uh, he has a chapter about uh, the... the uh, DJs that he really appreciated that started playing Rosalita. Uh, if you will download the black and white yeah. film of Springsteen and Rosalita, it, you'll see what a remarkable show he puts on. Uh, he's always been famous for that. Well, There's and I think I think Doug, you, you got a point in the sense that I, that may have been part of the contentious uh, thing with the with the label in that he was uh, he, he was trying to to a certain extent on some of these songs recreate in particular probably the first one recreate what the whole live experience was and and they weren't they didn't know what that was about they didn't understand that excitement and i and i can honestly say not having seen him perform in 1973 74 uh if his band live was anything like that first song on this album that would have been a hell of a thing to see live well the um we need to talk a little bit about why Columbia is behaving the way it is. If you'll recall, one of our previous podcasts featured Bobby Dylan, and he was on Columbia, and he was uh, discovered by John Hammond of Columbia Records. Hammond's well, that same guy <laughs> discovered Bruce Springsteen, yeah. and that same guy thought, I've done it again. I've got a singer-songwriter who's out of sight, and... Uh, so he got he got caught in this uh, the next Dylan trap, and mm. this is the breakout album. The Greetings from Asbury Park, fantastic album, was a compromise to kind of have the singer songwriter deal. On this album, he got enough leeway to start doing his rock and roll thing. And let's <laughs> let's keep in mind that this guy had been in a rock and roll band, uh, Steel Mill and some others, a long time. This is not yeah. uh, this is not a 19 year old popping out. This <laughs> is a guy that's been playing seven years in rock and roll bands, and uh, mm -hmm. he's he's coming to his own now. What I, I want to say something really important, and it's important for understanding this album. The thing that brought Steel Mill to an end was Bruce Springsteen hearing Van Morrison. Yeah, I saw three. I saw three E Street band members mentioning that once he heard Van Morrison, he was through with with the whole uh, steel mill, and he was ready to move on to something else. And this that's when all this uh, R and B stuff 
crept back into his music and 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 anyone that listens to this song and doesn't see that influence um is going to be confused by everything we say on any of our podcasts You know, the, the when you, you mentioned John Hammond and trying to the first album, you know, it seemed to me like they were trying to make Springsteen like the, the Dylan of the subterranean homesick blues. You know, absolutely. That Dylan, the yep, vein in that, that that Dylan vein. And so that light gave lyrics. him a little. Yeah. Gave him a little experience. You know, hey, you can add some drums and bass to this if you want. Hey. And um so, yeah, you listen to those songs and they're all that kind of stream of consciousness, wordplay kind of thing. And then you do you hear songs like Mary Queen of Arkansas. Mary Queen of Arkansas It's not too early for dreams Acoustic guitar and harmonica and... You know, and then so you hear that album, and then you hear this album, and it it doesn't make any sense where this came from. And I, I I think I think in that vacuum it doesn't make any sense. I think you're absolutely right. But knowing what like what Doug just said, and understanding that, mm-hmm. and knowing what where Springsteen what he listened to and where that came from, this makes yeah. absolute. This album makes absolute sense. But mm-hmm. yeah, not having any any concept of that and any context yeah. going from the first album to this one, it's it, it's going to give you whiplash. Yeah, I mean, there's and there's you know there's there's wordless vocals in it. You know, he doesn't just uh, the, the lyrics are kind of loose. You know, he played and he's never written like that since. I don't think. I always well, think that this album, he's got one foot in Asbury Park. And uh, one foot in New York. And this is a transition. Uh, I, and if you read Dave Marsh's book on this, he makes a big deal out of that. I, I, I this think, is his transition out of Asbury Park into a larger well, world. I, I think that's absolutely right. And I think that becomes significantly clearer um, with particular songs on this album that they, they uh, what he's singing about on the surface is not what the song's about <laughs> when you get deeper down. And I think a lot of that has to do with that the 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 straddling that line between the two, um, and and his essentially saying goodbye to that that you know that era in, in board, New boardwalk life. Yeah, it's through. Yeah, you ought yeah. to quit this yeah. scene too. <laughs> Are you going to do this all night? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. another thing that another thing I'll say about this album is that it does seem like the characters that he's writing about are characters that i mean he's just he's actually seen you know and i know he has because he there's there is a madame marie in asbury park new jersey you know i gotta tell my story yep so i'm working as a road manager for a certain individual and then we're going to asbury park to play and 
both me and this individual are huge Springsteen fans. And we leave Philadelphia real late after a deal. And we arrive at Asbury Park right at sunrise. And this is my first time to see the Atlantic Ocean. I'm 19 years old, I think. And I pull up and I park at the boardwalk and I look up and there's a shack in front of me. And the sun starts coming up and it gets light enough that I see Madame Marie's fortune telling <laughs> right there in front of me. And my mind explodes. I go, I can't believe it. He used to busk in front of that place. In front of Madame Marie's. I mean, they were actually really they were friendly. In fact, when she died in 90 at 93, he dedicated uh, a show that he was playing on July 4th. He dedicated that song to her. Uh, he would go back and check it, check in on her from time to time. I mean, that was, she was really, that was an important part of his, his youth. Um, really? Yeah. He was standing there. Yeah. Busking across from her on the boardwalk. So anyway, well, how about we jump into this thing? Cause uh, we could probably go on all night. The first song is the East street shuffle. Great beginning. Great oh, my God. I love this song. <laughs> and, and this is a great time for me to say, what happened to this kind of guitar playing? Well, yeah, this, can, is, can we take, this isn't the biting. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, can we take a moment and talk about Springsteen's guitar playing on this album? Because I don't know if anybody gives him the kind of credit he deserves. But this album also showcases what a pretty damn fine guitar player he is. Well, you know yeah, what? It's, it's, it's been diversity. very confusing to me because my whole life I've heard people pan his guitar playing. And when you watch him play, he looks like he's so stiff that if they turned up the his pickups, it would sound terrible. And then all of the reading, all these books I've been reading about Springsteen and all the interviews and everything, everybody mentioned he was the hottest guitar player in that whole scene. And uh, they they were hiring him just to play guitar, and well, that really that really surprised me. And I'm a lifelong Springsteen fan. He's he's kind of all I mean he's all over the place in a good way on this album. And he's playing all types of different you know different yeah, yeah. types of of guitar style, and it's really like I said, it's kind of uh, it, it for anybody who badmouths Springsteen's guitar playing, you should just sit him down and have him listen to this album from beginning to end. Yeah, and I don't know where this, why he became this, you know, that stinging sound that he later developed, which I just found very uninteresting. And just, you I know, think a Springsteen guitar solo. For a little while. Yeah, that must have been it. Um, you, you can definitely see the influence there. But here he's just the 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 way the guitar flows, the, the um, I it's love playful. the way it's the most guitar playful playing. guitar playing. I well, it's and yeah. this song, it makes sense. This song's based on a 1960s or it's influenced by 1960s uh, dance song by a guy named Major Lance called Monkey Time.
guys have listened to Monkey Time. If you listen to it, you can you can hear that. And and I, I want to say that listening to the song, I just want to close my eyes and see. I could just see Springsteen playing and got and the band being dressed in identical suits, like the Temptations, doing dance moves behind it during this whole song. That's what this song feels like to me. It's such a great. It's such an amazing. Uh, just great sort of sixties. Uh, it's wanna, one of yeah. It's one of the least the, white songs a white guy's ever done. Yeah, it, it's the so backing loose. vocals. It's, oh yeah. yeah, it's so yeah. loose and so much fun. This song is so much fun, and yeah. uh, it it sets the tone for the album because this album is about a place, mm-hmm. and this album is about an attitude, and that attitude is fun. It's exuberant. And uh, none of the heavy stuff from um, Greetings on Asbury Park are. It's a little break because you got you got some heavy stuff like Lost in the Storm and all this heavy. I'm so serious stuff on Asbury Park. And then you get over to uh, Born to Run. There's some more heavy stuff. This album, it's not about that. It's nobody's pretending to be an adult in any of these songs. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. all about well, fun. It's about yeah, girls. But there's there's heaviness around some of the edges. The incident on 57th Street, um, that's got some heaviness to it. You can't deny that. A little that. bit, but we're still talking about kids. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, this song, I, just a couple of things. Um, the uh, This is where I was going to say I kind of owed Oh, Springsteen, an apology. I think I've even said on this podcast before that I didn't think his lyrics were that great. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, boy, am I wrong. I, the, the the line in this song that gets me every single time I hear it <laughs> is the one about uh, the dressed in snakeskin suits backed by Detroit yeah. Muscle. That's that that idea, that Detroit <laughs> Muscle idea. I was trying to explain it to my daughter. I was like, he's talking about cars. He's talking about muscle cars, you know. It's not like a Detroit muscle, like a mob. It's the, he's using that 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 yeah. uh, that imagery, um, but he just throws yeah. that line out, and it's such a fantastic yeah. line. Um, it's yeah, it, it, the lyrics of the song are just great. And and I I read someplace where he said what he was trying to do is come up with a dance that didn't have any moves to it, and the fact that he's using <laughs> he's using that metaphor of a dance to kind of talk about what these characters are going through. In just their day to day life, you know, and he's comparing it to a dance, which, yeah. which, real quick, I think also, um, I think t- lends itself to what another thing that this album does in a way that sort of, I, I, in a in a way that st- is a step towards what he was going to do, and that's this um, idea that he takes these people that are a lot, a lot of ways, not so much in this song, but in a lot of the songs on this that are kind of anti heroes, sort of people that you wouldn't necessarily want to elevate and he elevates them he make he makes these people That's larger right. than life you know and we've been here before yeah. anybody want to tell me which album <laughs> copied this album in the way it talks about these things what tony just said about elevating these no count street people that are making up all this song this is Ricky Lee Jones. I was going to say Ricky Lee Jones. Ricky so Lee here, Jones. here's a, here's a question. Here's a question I have for you, Doug, because I think I think you've said this before in a previous co- podcast where you mentioned the distinction between uh, what you would call confessional songwriting and then more like an ob- observational character studies. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you think he, he Springsteen falls in that? 
Well, this is that's what's cool about this album. He's he's straddling again. I said he is straddling between Asbury Park and New Jersey. He's straddling between autobiographical and ob- observational. Mm-hmm. Um, here's observational. The newsboys say the heat's been bad since Power 13 gave a trooper all he had in a summer scuffle. <laughs> I mean, what a picture. I mean, that's one line that's cool to yeah. say, even if it didn't mean anything, but you can understand what's going on, man. Yeah. This cop nearly yeah. lost a fight, so they're coming down on everybody. <laughs> it's the whole thing. What's what's cool about this is it would be impossible to dance to this song. But it sounds like a dance. <laughs> well, no, I don't but, think it no, would be but that what impossible. You said, Tony, you can... is really true because yeah. Yeah. some of these are autobiographical, like uh, Rosalita. That's that's a hundred percent autobiographical. Oh, yeah. And then others are just like this one. He's just watching the stuff go by, and he's making the mundane sound magical I, with these yeah, lyrics. You yeah. Know the other, you know, the other thing I love about Springsteen, this is such a, a like a, a goofy thing to love, but I love the fact that all these people in these songs or the majority of them have nicknames of some sort. Everybody yeah. on this album. <laughs> they all have nicknames. I love that. Well, you yeah. remember like the scene. first word on the first album? Madman, uh, bummers, drummers, oh yeah. and Indians yeah. in the summer. You know who that drummer is? Uh-uh. Mad, Mad Dog. Drummer? Penny Lopez. Yeah. It's so, I mean they're uh, all all these guys if uh if you do a deep dive uh, when we get a little further down we're going to be talking about Spanish Johnny and he's well, going to turn up later in Jungle Land is the magic rat. It yeah. uh which well, is funny it reminds me of that scene in Goodfellas where they're going through the bar and he's naming all the people yeah. and all, all of them have like nicknames that, yeah. like Johnny two times or, that's what it seems like to me all these characters are, that's and a, it adds that's a northeast deal I guess but it but it also adds depth to them too you know yeah. it adds depth um uh, because and it makes it easier to rhyme. Well, that, but you're also, it's also provides kind of this weird sense of instant familiarity with them. You know, these are people that have lived a life and they've, they've gotten something attached to them. I don't know. It just, uh, I just, I just wanted to bring that up. I find that humorous and all these characters have nicknames. Yeah, I do too. So, and, and it's, 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 it makes all this normal stuff into magic. Yeah. A, a couple of things I also I want to say about this song is I love the way that the horns all come in together. Like yeah. it's, like almost everybody that's in the band is playing a horn. Seems that way. And I think they're all, I guess, pretty decent horn players. I mean, you got uh, any even Vinny Lopez is playing the cornet, uh, and you got D- Gary Talent playing tuba. It's like I don't think Gary Talent ever got but to play tuba again. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how the record company hears this song. And doesn't immediately go, holy cow, we've got something pretty great here. You know yeah. what they did say? They said, you got some good songs. We need to, you need to come in and record it with better uh, yeah, musicians. Yeah, I, I saw that. I said, whatever, man. They wanted to send him to Nashville at one point oh, and have God. him record with session guys. Oh, <laughs> this is exactly why this album works. Is nobody was uh, using the numbers like in Nashville. Yeah. Well, it, yeah. It, it's funny. It's funny, too. I, one thing I, I just before we go on to the next song, you know, this album was released six months after his debut. He had this he talks about I think he talks about it in his autobiography. He had this uh, this weird kind of still the the record companies were straddling the line between what 
what what you did prior to the Beatles and what you did after the Beatles. And he was part of that prior to the Beatles where you had to have product every six months and they yeah. expected it from you. Um, yeah. But it's pretty remarkable that this album was released that soon after his debut. Well, and yeah. it sounds so remarkably different and so yeah. fresh. You know? You've got yeah. 73 and 73. And yeah. uh, what Tony's talking about is you used to put out uh, an album with one or two hits and the rest would be turds. The way Springsteen <laughs> Uh, describes it is just sounds of you breathing or something and he said uh you know uh sergeant pepper changed everything and the whole album had to be good so here they are putting out two albums in 1973 and they're touring the whole time yeah which just gives you an idea how uh prolific his songwriting was yeah and they recorded this album really quickly too which i think you can kind of tell they did and but i think that's what gives it a little bit of its punch just that it just it does seem a little like these guys are so good they sound like a really seasoned band that have been on the road and they could just go and knock anything out of the park you know they can and just go in and play anything. and, and yeah. there were tons of other songs written for this album that he didn't, he yeah. didn't put on i think at one point he thought about well could this be a double album but he didn't yeah. have the he didn't have the cachet with the record company to put something yeah. like that so they dropped a bunch of songs as well oh um, yeah there's yeah like like thundercrack's a good song The next song is 4th of July at Asbury Park, also known as Sandy. JM knows who I'm talking about. There was a really cute girl at our camp named Sandy, and I used to sing this to her all the time. And in fact, we ran over a uh, sign that said Sandy on it for the town of Sandy, and we delivered it to her to show her how much we loved her. Uh, <laughs> I was never told whether or not that was appreciated. You know, that, that case wasn't closed. You just... Now it is. Um, so, <laughs> Sandy, so got... Texas. They're after me now. I, I want to say uh, something based on uh, this song in particular, based on something you said about straddling the two places. I think I think Sandy in this song is Asbury Park. I think the girl Sandy, yeah. I think he's sing. I think he's saying goodbye to Asbury Park the way he's talking about Sandy. And uh, because otherwise, yeah. otherwise, it's odd that he would be. I mean, he's using this girl as a metaphor, but otherwise, it'd be odd that he would be describing his problems with another woman during the song and all this other stuff. I really do think. I mean, it just makes sense to me that this. That, and there's that line where he says, "Love me tonight, and I promise I'll love you forever." You know, yeah. just it just really feels to me like this is that he's using Sandy as as representing his way of, of saying, "Okay, I'm moving on now. Thank you." That doesn't um, work, by the way. Um, for some of our younger listeners out there, that line. Uh, 
Well, I've got well, another question. Uh, well, this is another, in the Twilight quick, Zone. Quick, this is another. the Twilight Zone section of our podcast. Uh, can someone tell me um, in nine or in two thousand twelve, November second, a hurricane made landfall uh-huh. at Asbury Park, New Jersey. Can anyone remember the name of that hurricane? It's, it's Sandy. I guess she yeah. didn't uh, forgive him for leaving. She decided <laughs> to destroy everything. Uh, and again, just pulling a line out of nowhere that I just love. It just pull every time I hear it is that line about the uh, the switchblade lovers. So fast, yeah. so shiny, so, so sharp. So sharp. Yeah. Uh, if I was going to say anything about this song, that's a little, and it's such a minor thing. I. I don't think it needs this this sort of beginning breathless Bruce singing it at the at the at the beginning. Really? I, I, yeah. I, I mean, not, again, it's minor. It doesn't bother me where I'm like, oh, it's awful. But it just, yeah. I, oh, oh, plus, I love that. I love the way he starts that song. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's necessary, but uh, it's a great song, and it sounds it, it sounds. I think I think. This sounds familiar. This would sound familiar to people who are who are not that well versed in Bruce, but you know, know yeah. kind of bigger stuff because this feels very much feel, like yeah. he, he, like the kind of stuff he would do later. Yeah, you could um, pull this song out and stick it on a different album. I, I agree with you there, but it is. This is. I I it, think it's. I think it's the turning point of the album. Yeah, this I think is, this is. This is. Uh, we first get introduced to everybody, yeah. and now we're getting told. He's leaving. Yeah. You're getting to know each character a little bit more. I love, I love, uh, I used to play, I used to play a lot of pinball. Were you a wizard? (laughs) No, I was, I I, I kept playing and kept not getting better, but I just absolutely loved that. Me, I just got tired of hanging around in dusty arcades banging them pleasure machines yeah that's a great line if you didn't grow up playing pinball i wonder what in the hell you think he's talking about (laughs) probably think it's some perverted thing that uh yeah yeah anyway i think it's a wonderful song and and i'm not i think tony's probably right about well it's got the 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 book it's an amalgamation of a bunch of girls he was seeing at the time and it and this is um the same girl in Rosalita and uh, all of that. But it sure sounds like he's saying goodbye to Asbury Park. It does. It does. I think, yeah, And, it, and it I does. think the song makes sense that way, too. Like I said, there's the, the, the kind of the cool thing about this album is a lot of these songs, there's an enjoyment factor just kind of on a basic surface level. And then when you actually get into it, you're like, holy cow, there's a lot more yeah. to this than meets the eye. To unpack on that. I mean, it's got the accordion. How many? Yeah, the accordion is perfect for the Perfect on this song. Yeah, and it's got the uh, you know the 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 nice uh, um, Wurlitzer or that electric piano in there. And and uh, but you know this is in my top five favorite Springsteen songs. I mean, it is just I every it's time magic. I hear it, it's it's one of those where I hear something different every time. I catch something different every time I listen to it, it's, and it was a joy listening to it this week. Or last couple well, of weeks. Then, uh, if you, you hear him sing Greece? it live now, she mm-hmm. said, the, in this uh, version, it says, that waitress I was seeing lost her desire for me. I spoke to her last night, 
and she said she wouldn't set herself on fire for me anymore, which that's is fantastic. That's and that's not kind of thing you, again, back to Tony's point, that's not what you tell a girl you're trying to make it with. Yeah. But um, <laughs> in the in the live version, he always says he talked to the stars and they said they wouldn't set themselves on fire for us anymore. Huh. So I've always wondered if he came up with that line later and liked it better than the one he recorded. Oh, uh, huh. I think the one he recorded is better. I do, too. Personally. I, I like he's trying to cover his ass. I, yeah. I, yeah, I would like to uh, be burdened with the choice of two great lines. <laughs> well, I just I love that idea of this, yeah. you know, this girl. He's trying to describe the the disinterest this girl has for him now and just yes. that she won't set fire for she won't set herself won't set on herself. fire for me anymore that's such just a great image that's a great <laughs> image it is well and you know yeah. i love did you hear the cops finally busted madam oh, yeah. for telling fortunes better than they better do, than they do. <laughs> yeah, it's so so another amazing line yeah, and incredible. that's right before he announces that the boardwalk life is through it's just, and it's gonna <laughs> You know, this this is like get ready for Thunder Road next because he's he's about to he's about to split. But I'm going on to another album before we even talk about Kitty's back. This is a total workout for this band. I mean, you, you know if they played this live, uh, which I know they have. They actually, uh, about 10 years ago, I think they did this whole album um, start to finish at Madison Square Garden. Uh, but it, the organ solo on this alone is is just worth listening to. It's amazing. Who played that? David Sanchez. <laughs> yeah, it's a, that Hammond organ solo. It's it's yeah. really incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. And then the I, I, horns this is kind that of in the line it. of uh, it. It reminds me of Hello Dolly, kind of a the gal yeah. coming back to town that everybody loves. Yeah, yeah. I won't. I won't say that this song is necessarily my cup of tea because um, it's really it's not. I mean, I enjoy it, but it's not. Uh, it's not. It's probably my least favorite song on the album. Really? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I could go along with that, and I have to. I have to qualify that by saying I absolutely love this song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I. I and I'm talking I, about if you had to chop one of my limbs off, which one would I let you chop off? That's yeah, what I'm talking not, about. It's not quite that. Favorite. It's not quite that way for me, but uh, but um, I, I did find things about it like that. Look again, I. I I can appreciate that the way the intro guitar stuff, mm-hmm. but you guys know that is that is a, that blues bluesy guitar is not something yeah. that gets me going. So it, it's it very I, American. I, I got yeah. I've got yeah right. I got to get through <laughs> that. I got to get through that for the song to start before I'm really like kind of into it because it it uh, it just takes me it takes me a bit out of it. Again, I can appreciate how great he's playing and I understand it. Um, but uh yeah here she uh, comes here she comes here she comes oh man and i i and the whole band comes in on this one man i just love it 
I think he wrote this for the band because he just realized he had a crack band behind him, and he said, "Oh, right, I, they could pull this off." And uh, I that, bet no, nobody horns. knew what was going to happen when they walked into that studio. Man, this yeah. thing just cut loose. Well, if he uh, if he if he was if he was such a big uh, Van Morrison fan, you're probably right about that. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? This is exactly the opposite of what happened in uh, on Born to Run, where he was grinding away every little detail, trying to make it the perfect yeah. uh, Phil Spector song. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. So. Um, we're going to go to one of my personal favorites. Um, I like this song for two reasons. I think it is a beautiful description of a community that... that well, hold on, let's tell... What's the name of the song? Oh, we want to tell people... All right, we're going to we're gonna go ahead and cheat and let y'all know the name of the song. This is Wild Billy's Circus Story. In the flying Zambinis Watch Margarita do her next whist then the ringmaster gets the crowd to count along 95, 96, 97 A ragged suitcase in his hand, he steals silence And if you like Tom Waits, Tom Waits went on and on about God, I wish I would have written that I mean, he um, was fascinated <laughs> see with that. this song and, it, and the fact that I don't have a recording of Tom Waits covering this song Is pretty amazing to me <laughs> so it, it's funny, Doug. And I want to I want to hear what you were going to say about the two levels of the song. But this is this is one of my favorite songs on this album as well. I love this song. Love it. I love but it too. The thing I was going to say about it is, if you turn me into a computer and I don't get to have emotional attachment to anything, and I'm just judging songcraft, this is. I I think. I put it up with Thunder Road is um, almost flawless. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure I'm going to say there's a flaw in either one of those songs, but I think this is songcraft at its peak. And yeah. I ju- and I and I also love the theme, but um, well, again, it's that idea of elevating somebody you would not elevate, and uh, a whole community you wouldn't whole know. community your carnies. Um, and making them and he, and he's not he's not making them pretty by any stretch. And but, this is yeah. this is so different than what um what we talked about with Newman. <laughs> yeah. I kind of He's take elevating it as a, these people who don't deserve to be elevated. He's not looking down at them look No, saying, it's it's right. very it's a very it's reverential, right. Yeah, yeah, it's very sympathetic por- portrait. And, and and he, it sounds like he's he could just slide in right next to any of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, just look at the album cover. Yeah, he he could. Um, <laughs> and this this song was originally recorded or going to be recorded for the the last album for his first album, and uh, and they had, it, did, it didn't get on it, and then they just re-recorded it and uh, changed the title. I think it was called yeah, the, Cir- was the circus. circus Song. I yeah, think is what they called it. Yeah, and it's based. I mean, it's it's uh, influenced or based on a circus that used to. Was it was the Clyde Beatty Cole Brothers Circus that used to come to Springsteen's hometown <laughs> every every year, every summer. Yeah, and so he, he, is, he, he, he was fa- he was fascinated. He was fascinated by that stuff. Yeah, and it's. Um, he said he wanted to go behind the scenes and see uh, that part, and that's essentially what the song is, right? <laughs> that's right. Um, 
and, and again, uh, it's that idea. It's that idea of of saying goodbye, of leaving where you came from. And what a better metaphor than a circus that is as transient as it could possibly be, and but leaves its mark and then le- and then moves on to the next place to do the same thing. You know, I love that last line. Hey, son, you want to try the oh, yeah. Try the board, Nebraska is the next stop. And you know, you've never been to Nebraska. It's just a ma- this imaginary yeah, place in the middle of the country where circuses go and they're surrounded by cornfields you know i love the line and the little midget (laughs) licks his fingers and suffers mrs bimbo's scorn you got let's take a break real quick and talk about why does springsteen dial up the accent on some of these songs and the guys from new jersey i never (laughs) fangers he sounds i mean that's F A N G E R S, man. <laughs> he's got he's got a uh, he he does that a lot. I mean, yeah. and he does it more and more the older he gets. Well, I think, I think well, I think I think that's more of I think more of his songcraft lends itself to that nowadays. You know, yeah. a little less so back when he was doing this stuff. Um, yeah. Anyway, I just find it interesting. I do, uh, but and it's also one of the few songs that's. In, in popular music that has a tuba and an accordion going at the same time. Well, and there's <laughs> also, much, man, uh, isn't there a mandolin on this yeah, song? Yeah, there's a man, there's well, two yeah, mandolins on it. Mandolin. And he's, and Springsteen's playing the mandolin, I think, yeah, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's two of them. It's great. It's oh, it's, fantastic. yeah, instrumentally, the song is fantastic. I don't know yeah. why, you guys are probably going to think I'm crazy when I say this. I don't know why, but um, probably halfway through listening, I listened to this song probably, I just kept, I, you know, Doug, you talk often about not wanting to move on. And it's tough because the next song's so great. But yeah. uh I, I didn't want to leave this world and this song. But some play some point when me when I was listening to this, I thought, I, I don't know why there was kind of a Jerry Jeff Walker vibe to it to me. And I have no idea why that was. If I could see I, I can kind of that. see that. He's I got that Jerry Jeff singing this. going. Yeah, I could see Jerry Jeff covering this song, doing he a pretty good have. job of it. It's a shame yeah. he didn't. We should have told him it's our fault. <laughs> that's why we're in. That's why we're such experts tonight. <laughs> Jerry Jeff is from Texas, and he should have covered this song. <laughs> well, he's not All from right, Texas. Up he's next, from New York. Um, he is from New York. I but... thought that this was just a personal favorite of mine, and nobody else got it. <laughs> just... And I was absolutely wrong. I looked it up. This is the second most popular song on the album after Rosalita, and it and beats what's the song. <laughs> oh, we're doing that again, huh? We have to tell people. This is Incident on 57th Street. the second it's the first yeah, song we just flipped song. over and if you're like me you're wondering this is supposed to be a hit this doesn't sound like a hit but apparently this is a very seductive song because the more research i did on it the more i found out people were completely enamored with this song this mm-hmm. song is a masterpiece it is period it is um you know he recorded this on his 21st 24th birthday he was 24 when he recorded the song. Jeez. That's just I don't get it, wow. man. I don't get it. 
I wonder what I did with all my 24 year old talent. (laughs) Yeah. There's not many songs like this, but there's like another one of my favorite songs is, uh, you know, Romeo and Juliet. I could see this kind of being in that, in, in that sort of vein. Um, yeah, this, it's, this song, I, I, going back to what you said earlier about this album being all about having fun, mm-hmm. this song is about two prostitutes yeah. finding each other. Uh, and, 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 and maybe, uh, no, it is. Come on. A lot of people say it's not, but it absolutely is. It sure um, sounds like it when they say you will make a little easy money. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. But, but, but they, and they're, and they're both, they're both fine. You know, they're finding, they're trying to find that moment of solace and, and inner and connecting with each other in this, in this basically yeah. environment, this world they inhabit where that is impossible. Um, and they do for a moment until, yeah. until Spanish Johnny gets the call to go back out and make some easy money. And, and, uh, and and leaves uh i mean the the fact that this line puerto rica jane won't you please tell me your name that doesn't make yeah. any sense unless he's a prostitute because that's what male prostitutes yeah. call they call them janes he wouldn't say puerto rican jane what's your name unless that may you know it doesn't make any sense otherwise mm-hmm. um so well, and the they've got the pimp swinging axes yeah yeah and yeah. i think i think spanish johnny's probably also a junkie why else does he have the bruises on his arm? I mean, this it's there's a lot of kind of darkness around the edges of the song. Um, but yeah, I think that's what makes darkness on the edge of the song. (laughs) (laughs) But what that's what makes this song so powerful because there's that moment where the two of them find that solace with each other that just is really powerful. And then there's it's it's more of a Tom White song than the other one we just talked about. Yeah, it's got that. And then there's that part where it's just the bass and the 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 cymbals. Oh, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, it's it's like it's that moment where everything pulls back and there's just that part in him singing. Mm -hmm. Um, there's there's that, two things about American this song place. that grabbed me right away. I, I think Bruce Springsteen's opening with the guitar is yep. some of his best guitar. And I don't yep. mean best guitar like Eddie Van Halen going <laughs> all over the place. I mean <laughs> note choice and yeah. emotive power. His, mm-hmm. his opening to this is incredible. And there's a live version where it's even more amazing listening to him play the opening. And the other thing are the drums. And <sighs> the drums are incredible. I could, I could turn the rest of the song down and just listen to the drums because they're I doing just listen something. listen to the kick drum. They're, they're <laughs> the doing kick. something weird I don't understand. It reminds me of, uh, of Keith Moon if Keith Moon was slow. Yeah. It's just well, weird. Right. It sounds like the lead instrument of, the, of this song is the drums, and I'm mesmerized by it. Um. If you if you like poke around a little bit online, you can find versions as as he started doing the song uh, live later on. He stripped it down really kind of to a bare arrangement. And when I, I'm going to screw her name up, the woman who sings uh, the, the choir vocals on on this oh, song, Sukalave, Sukalave, yeah, she she plays she plays violin with him. And there's a version online of them doing this song with where the violin is kind of the the instrument out oh, front, and it is oh, as haunting beautiful. and amazing yeah. as anything you could ever hear. He's um, so good. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, those vocal, I don't know why she didn't get any vocal credit on the album. She's in that, that, those like little kid voices on there. I just, uh, fantastic sound. Yeah. Um, and, uh, just, you know, again, uh, just another cool David Sanctious, um, it's piano playing. Oh yeah. And it's that's, the simplest chord progression you could ever think of. Yeah. And you, it doesn't matter one bit because it is addictive. It's, it's, one of the top 10 songs I've ever heard in my life that makes you want to play it again after you've heard yeah. it once. This is the first of the Bruce Springsteen's factuation with a West Side Story. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. this, this, uh, as I said earlier, um, Springsteen said somewhere that he thinks Spanish Johnny becomes, um, the, the, uh, rat, oh, what's his name? The, Magic rat, magic rat in uh, Jungle Land. So uh, this this is continued later in another album. But I just love the line: Johnny is sitting on the fire escape watching the kids playing down the street. Calls down, "Hey, little hero, summer long." But I guess it's not very sweet around here anymore. Jane sleeps in sheets stabbed with sweat, and Johnny sits up and watches her dream on, dream on, and the sister plays for lost souls and breaks down in the chapel after everyone's gone. I mean, you don't even need music that so No, you don't. No, it, <laughs> it, it, absolutely. Don't. Absolutely. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So then the uh, the David Sanctus is playing that nice little piano outro, which I just think <laughs> is, is a fantastic just magic a way to end that that song and then we we switch gears more profoundly (laughs) than you would think possible again whiplash but you want to talk about fun you can talk about your fun now doug (laughs) well and then well let's talk name the song you gotta you gotta look up the ancient video of a skinny springsteen running up down the stage playing this song Getting attacked by every woman in the uh, in the uh, and I don't even care if they were paying those girls to jump up and try to attack them. It um, we're we're talking about Rosalita. <laughs> I keep forgetting to say the name. Um, do we want to do the litany of nicknames in this song? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do think it's interesting how he came to the name uh, Rosalita. How did he? I don't know the story about that. Well, he was dating a girl, Sandy, Rosalita. She shows up all over the place. And uh, her family was not too uh, crazy about him. Because I, I believe her father was a musician. And he said, oh, great, he'll understand. And he says, he'll just bring poverty. He had, he had no <laughs> patience with musicians. So, um, but uh, her grandmother's name was Rosa, and it was her last name was something like Alita or something like that. So he put that together, <laughs> and he came up with Rosalita. We'll probably get about 5,000 uh, corrections on that, but that's roughly what, what we're talking about. 
And uh, this is, um, he's leaving, in case you didn't know before. Yeah. Yeah. It's He's got to be autobiographical. It's, it's but it wrote. is very. Yeah, I, I think I think I think I think you make a point there. And at the end of the song, um, it's almost as if he, it doesn't matter if she goes or not. <laughs> He's going. Yeah. He wants He's, he want he wants this to be a legitimate relationship. Right. That line about windows are for cheaters. You know, uh, use the door. That's what it's there for. Because he wants, yeah. he doesn't, he does. He's tired of this all the sneaking around. But by the end of the song, you're right. He's on his way. And and, and if she comes, great. If not, nothing. The, there doesn't seem to be anything that's going to stop him. Yeah. And I mean, this if song you, was if you just read anything about Springsteen. The most evident thing in the world is there is nothing going to stand between him. And what he wants in this music. I mean, the guy is the most driven rock and yeah. roll star I've ever read about. Yeah. Yeah. And going back, going back to the horns on this album, the horns on this song are so great. So much yeah. fun. And then we just, found out what he's got with Clarence. Yeah. We get, we get yeah. a foretaste to, oh no, here comes, <laughs> we find out what Clarence is doing. And again, we've got all these uh, nicknames, little gun, little dynamite. <laughs> Big Bones uh, Billy. Big Bones yeah. Billy. That's my Jack the Rabbit. Weak Jack the Rabbit. Weak Knees Willie. Don't you know they're going to be there? And there's, I would say that of all the songs on this album, this has the the most questionable lyrics. Um, and mm-hmm. windows are for cheaters, chimneys for the poor, closets are for hangers, winners lose the door. I would I wouldn't be holding my head particularly high if I'd written that, but <laughs> it doesn't matter because you're yeah. so carried away with uh, I know with you this are. crazy tune going wild. What what is the closet? What's what, I mean? Anyway, I he's, I, th- I he's think, talking about sneaking around because his I know. parents and that you know no, I'm not retarded. Um, I know I didn't say you were. But a lot of the audience doesn't know that. I, we've gotten some letters that. Um, <laughs> Now, can you imagine now going and this guy had the highest grossing concert in history, some <laughs> ungodly amount of money. Can you imagine <laughs> one show holding yourself back and not picking up the phone and saying, oh, uh, yeah, by the way, <laughs> your daughter really lost out. <laughs> Yeah, well, it was her last chance for a fine romance, right? <laughs> of course, we know that there's some questions about how fine a romance that turned out to be, as his first wife found out, but we won't go there. <laughs> so that's the big, ginormous, uh, the closest thing to a hit on this album. It's just, and yeah. Well, song. this One of the funnest songs ever written. Let's just... Uh, agreed but this um you you say hit i mean it got airplay but um was it ever it wasn't released as a single was it or was it i was never it was released as a single and no one bought it yeah oh really okay well it was it became sandy releases singles i remember Um, when it was a hit on mtv from well the the album the album didn't chart until post born to run is that right yeah yeah. It's almost up to 3 million uh, copies sold. Um, I can't believe it didn't sell more than that. Uh, wow. Yeah, go out and buy it. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, one more. We got 10 minutes left of a song. <laughs> Is this the longest song you ever put on an album? It, yeah, I think it just beats Jungle Land. I don't know. Well, There's that one song, outlaw. Beat, but. This song, uh, I, I like this song. Uh, Jungle Land doesn't seem long to me. I love Jungle Land. It's one of my favorite Springsteen songs ever. Um, this This song feels a little long, but, you know, that's, again, just a slight nitpick. This is I, my I favorite. I'll tell you what. I'll give you a secret on this song. Yeah. Never listen to this song in the daytime. Okay. This yep. is one of the most nighttime songs ever written. Well, mm. uh, you know, you know, Springsteen, you, you know this, Doug, because you've read all this stuff, that he said that this, this, this particular song would not have happened had it not been for Astral Weeks. I believe that. It's the mad dog's promenade. So what time? You better don't walk it on. So, well, so Jam, you said this is your favorite song on the album. It's my favorite, not only my favorite song on the album, it is my favorite Springsteen song. I, can see I just love the string arrangements on it. Ah, I love the musicianship on it. They're I not did, strings. I, they're yeah. not. It's a Mellotron. <laughs> is it really? Yeah, yes. Yeah. And it's one of the it's one of the best uses of Mellotron I've ever heard. I would have never thought it was a Mellotron, but yeah, David Sanctus is playing the Mellotron on this thing. Where did y'all read that? I always thought it was a I read it in a couple of places. Yeah, it's oh. it's it's um but no, he's he's credited as string arranger and I think they're probably keeping that a well-kept secret for a while. Hmm. But no, it's a, they had a Mellotron that they rented from a, a a music shop down the street in Manhattan. Holy crap. Well, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah. it is. It's the, <laughs> it's of all the Mellotron we've talked about, we've talked about a lot. This is the yeah. least Mellotron sounding Mellotron yeah. of all. <laughs> no, it's it it I think would fool anybody. Uh, obviously, it did fool fooled our fool. Yeah. I mean, I've been listening to this song for forty years, and it fooled I, me. <laughs> Jam, I would have never had I not read that. I would have never known it was a Mellotron either. When I read that, I was blown away. I've been listening to this album since I was twelve years old. <laughs> that blew yeah. me away. How many songs start off with just chords on an auto harp? That's not an auto harp. That's a piano. He's playing the strings on the piano. He's holding really? the chords down and playing with the guitar pick on the strings. I had no idea. Okay, another <laughs> thing that I learned today. You know what, though, Jim? I'll be honest with you. Um, if you were to, if someone were to quiz me as what as well as I know you and say, "What's your what's Jam's favorite song on this album?" I would have picked this. Really? This is a very this is a very Jam song. It is me. a very Jam. I'm sorry. This yeah, is not a song. This is a suite. I have never heard this song and not. I've, you see those guys that are mouth mouth breathers and slobber comes yeah. out their mouth. I think that's what I look like when this song is over. <laughs> Probably in a trance with slobber coming out of my mouth and I'm breathing through my mouth. Hey, vibes, man. Hey, jazz, man. Ah, play me a serenade. 
any deeper blue and you would be playing in your grave. <laughs> where does that come from? I don't know. Where did it go? He doesn't do it anymore. He, why? I just don't understand how. And this kind of song craft is just gone. The I the, the the long song that's not just hype, you know, with it's well, just it's beautiful. not like there's a twenty minute guitar solo or something. Well, it's not. It's and yeah. it's not structured like your typical song. There's a lot uh-huh. of songs in this album that aren't you know verse chorus verse chorus. They're they're no. differently structured. Right. But you're yeah. uh, but but to be fair to Springsteen, there's so many different artists that had this sort of peak. I mean, Dylan's the same way. Dylan had D- Dylan stopped writing songs the way he wrote them. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, other I people. Just, I don't think your brain. It's all this kind of stuff that all the great physicists had their discoveries in their twenties. All the great yeah. artists put out their craziest, wonderfulest stuff. Something happens to your brain where it can't work this way anymore. And you also become a judge. You start, you start yeah. criticizing while you're writing. Yeah, life, yeah. life also starts to creep in as well, and not a good way. Not in a way that you could step back and be observational about it, but more in a way well, that um, yeah, like he, making you cynical. Like yeah, he, you yeah, find he yourself he, in your closet. Yeah. So the next, so the next time, then you know, <laughs> the next time that Springsteen writes about uh, Asbury Park, it's my city in ruins from yeah. uh the that that the rising i mean that that I, I was listening to somebody talking about new jersey and they were saying the 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 if you go to new jersey and expect to see this sort of romantic this romanticized <laughs> version that springsteen talks about you better turn around and head the hell out of there because this, mm-hmm. it doesn't exist <laughs> it doesn't and it's it's it breaks your heart they got that big uh i guess it's the big uh conference center or something right on the shore hanging out over the water you can imagine how amazing it used to be and it just looks like a ghost town well if you watch the uh the sopranos they did that whole episode with uh pussy sleeping with the fishes (laughs) that was done (laughs) there and you can see how deserted it is it's it's a sad thing um yeah and and this imaginary world that he built up i think about springsteen he's got this fascination with the west that manifests itself all all the time with cadillac ranch and and that nebraska. new album he has out in nebraska and all he's got this fascination with the west oh yeah western stars yeah i get the same thing about new jersey <laughs> i i don't know i if, i really feel pretentious talking about this album and springsteen because i never really felt this way about him this this album kind of really did uh hit me over the head <laughs> yeah i mean it will it, yeah and i think it, it will. will do that to a lot of other people that you know if you think of springsteen as the muscle guy with the cut off uh jean jacket and the bandana or the the, the sweat band on the his back head yeah this is exactly not that um yeah yeah i i think all of us hold a uh, born into usa with a certain level of contempt I hold everything before that album with high esteem, even though it's all very different. And uh, if you have not heard this album, I, you just got to dive in and uh, blow your mind. He has never hit me on the same level that he hit me on this album. And it, I used to say that Darkness on the Edge of Town was my favorite Springsteen album. But as I got older, this one uh crept in and and 
you know, took first place. Maybe you're not pissed anymore. Well, I I just, uh, there is, not to to beat this dead horse, but there is a bit of sadness to me about that. um, We didn't get to hear what, what Springsteen would have been had he collaborated more with David Sanchez. Um, Yeah. Because I think that would have been really, really interesting. Uh, And Vinny Lopez, Vinny Lopez was such a good drummer. And he went, last I heard, he was a caddy for, uh, I think, somebody on a PGA tour. So I guess he's not hurting too bad. But, I mean, he he had a difficult problem. He had that madman deal that wasn't just a nickname. Yeah. (laughs) He he had to leave the band because he kept uh, stirring it up and was unable to play. He's such a big deal now that when Broadway go, goes live really? again, he's going to be it. That's what they're starting with is Springsteen. Is he going to boogaloo down Broadway? No. <laughs> no, he's doing his one-man show. That's um, pretty good. I'm I, saw it. I mean, that, that guy is a showman. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's he. he's a fantastic songwriter. He's and, a fantastic showman. Um, but he is a showman. I mean, the guy, that's his number one thing. He found yeah. out he was a songwriter after he was a showman, but I'm not surprised at all that he's on Broadway. I've, I just, I just think it's, it's pretty, it's a remark, you know, outside of everything else, it's a remarkable story that this guy's career was almost not a career. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that not only was it just not because of disinterest, but a, an actual, um, effort on the record company to torpedo him. yeah 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 that's i've never well, heard of that before i'm listening yeah. to him read the born to run book and i'm going damn this is well written wow this guy can write and all of a sudden i'm going why am i surprised that a great songwriter can also write a great book and i, I didn't have an answer for myself well and well, the thing th- is I- he comes across as one of the most self-assured people like he knew what he was doing he had no doubt whole, no doubt in his head at any point and he just you talk about burning your ships he had yeah. no alternative plan right well i guess being tenacious has its uh has its benefits then it does and being and good. also being able to stay up past nine o'clock is, is <laughs> very helpful okay. at the end of this album we're going to give it two reviews one we're going to review how good of an album it is. And two, we're going to review how much we like it in order to make the distinction between what we think is a great album and what we think we love. We can't always judge what we love with a clear mind. So that's why we make this a point. J.M., as a critic, I give it. Probably three and a half stars. And the reason why I give it three and a half stars as a critic is I don't think that it's instantly accessible. I don't think the first time you hear this album, if you're 25, that it's going to make much of a impact on you. And as uh, your personal your personal review, if you five stars and if i could go higher i would i think this is one of the most perfect albums ever made tony quick i don't know if i completely agree with the accessibility of it i mean this is an odd album like i said earlier not odd as in it's the songs are odd but just because it's kind of all over the place and it's eclectic but 
if you don't like e, the E Street Shuffle upon hearing it the first time, I don't know if I want to be in a room with you. Um, <laughs> I I agree with criticizing people that disagree with you. I think that's a great technique, and I use it frequently. Yeah, I, I just uh, I, I but but stepping back um, and and hear, having heard Jam what Jam say, I I'm going to go higher than three point five. I'd say four on that level. And then in terms of, of my likability or whatever, the other, whether I'd, I'll give it a 4.8. Okay. Well, I'm going to give it a five because it's brilliant. <laughs> and I'm going to give it a five because I love it. Mm-hmm. And if anyone wants to write in to uh, tapping vinyl, at gmail.com and tell me that I'm biased. You're free to I, do so. I, I will say I can't do anything else. I don't know. Here I, here I stand. I don't know how fun it is to listen to all uh, listen to us all like gush over the same thing. Um, <laughs> I, know, I know some people well, enjoy we have us plenty beating of up on each other. Where we disagree, Tony. I we, don't we, think we need to worry about that. We do, but um, uh, I was. I was I was I was just surprised at the way this album hit me. That's all. Yeah, that's why it's cool that we come from all these different directions. Thank you for choosing that one, JM. Tony, <laughs> what do you have for the young folks tonight? Uh, well, I don't know how young, how much it is for the young folks, but um, people in their early fifties. <laughs> <laughs> this I, I, I would like to I would like to recommend an album by a band. Um, from Toronto and it's not rush um <laughs> called Blue Rodeo. Oh um, yeah. I love So that. so Blue Rodeo's been around since the mid 80s. They've put out 15 studio albums. I want to recommend their latest which actually came out in 2016 um called uh 1000 Arms. It was released in October of that year. Blue, uh, Doug, if you don't know Blue Rodeo, Blue Rodeo is one of these bands that um, they're named Blue Rodeo initially because it was going to be kind of one part country, one part blues, and they were going to combine the stuff. They, they've they really leaned more heavily into the country kind of Americana sounding stuff. Yeah, they've got, if they did blues, we wouldn't be hearing about it from you. Uh, <laughs> They uh they, they've got two lead lead singers slash main songwriters Jim Cuddy and Greg Keeler, um and they're perfect they're perfect foils for each other because Jim Cuddy is this more kind of mellower sweeter voice and Keeler's yeah. more kind of gruff in a D- Dylan or a Jeff Tweedy kind of way but when the two of them sing together it's it's absolute magic it's incredible yeah. um they uh, there was a guy who you guys may know named Bob Wiseman who was one of the original members of of Blue Rodeo as well he's a great keyboardist he's played with he, he was I think in the band till ninety two he played with with uh he's played with everybody Wil- wilco ron sexsmith daniel lenoir some other people it's Edie Brickell. anyway this album came out in october 2016 it's called 1000 arms it's their it's their most recent studio lp what made me think about them is they did a streaming show a couple of days ago and i, I had some friends that were listening or who were going to watch it i didn't get a chance to because i was doing something else but i i just was like wow how can i not talk about this band um yeah. You know, some of the standout tracks. I mean, the whole thing's right. I I will say this about Blue Rodeo. There's not a dud in their entire catalog. They've released 15 studio albums, and all 15 of them are great. But in this album in particular, the song, I Can't Hide This Anymore. 
I can't hide this anymore I give up you in the war All my memories are blurred But I remember what we were And I can't hide this anymore Jimmy Fall Down, Rabbit's Foot. The title track is great. Superstar, a song called Superstar. They're all stellar songs. Um, and, and I don't know how this band is not more well-known in the States. I saw them in two... The last time I saw them was in 2002. I saw them at the Continental Club. And uh, the entire crowd, except for me and uh, and Terry Lacona from Austin <laughs> City Limits, were Canadian. They all had a Canadian flags they're waving around in the crowd. <laughs> Uh, just to show their support. And uh, the great thing about it is they ended up being on Austin City Limits shortly after that. Um, so I guess right. he was a fan. But uh, yeah, really do yourself a favor. Check this out. And if you can spread the word, this band deserves to be much better. They're huge in Canada and and they, they're playing the Continental Club when they come down here, which is just a crime. Um, not that the Continental Club's not a great place. I love it. But they deserve to play bigger arenas or yeah. bigger stages than that. And they put on a great show. I've seen them twice, and they are fantastic live. That's it for tonight's show. Next week, we'll be looking at an album by a band known for its consummate musicianship, Little Feet, and their album, Dixie Chicken. Look us up on Facebook. Look us up on Instagram. And we're on Twitter at tappingvinyl.com. We're interested to know what ratings you would give these albums that we're reviewing today. And you can also email us at tappingvinyl at gmail.com. And if you know of anyone that likes music in the LP format, be sure and let them know about this podcast. We'd love to get the word out. For our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. This is Vinyl Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11. And on behalf of us here at Vinyl Tap, don't go telling fortunes better than Madame Marie. <laughs>